2: Welcome to the Runs World Podcast with me, Rick Pearson.
3: Me, Ben Hobson.
1: And me, Jane Maguire.
2: Today we're talking about the relationship between running and grief. Before we go into that, which is an amazing discussion actually, very powerful. Um, we've got uh, yeah um, a couple of great interviewees for that. Um, obviously the Olympics has happened, which is good news.
3: It's happening. It's
4: happening.
2: It's, <laughs> it's happening, right, happening now, right now,
1: as we speak.
3: Uh, right now, as we speak, it's the final of the men's team gym- gymnastics and i don't what know any anyone gymnastics. else but i, I love, love it gymnastics. oh the gymnastics is phenomenal it's up it's it's just that's just people people doing mad yeah, stuff
2: yeah they're the they're I, like the ultimate athletes aren't they yeah, yeah
1: i'm obsessed with the like talking of today tom daly with his gold oh yeah that was good and bloody how how do they do that so in sync
3: i know right just, there's all of it they're in the air uh, this is this is the most amazing thing about like you kind of i don't know maybe you just get used to seeing what you you know what you're doing and then the, every four years you get a real like reminder of what elite performance is all about
1: but i think if i said let's all clap at the same time we would struggle to do that right now <laughs> <laughs> but if we're like suspended in the air can you imagine <laughs> like what?
3: when you watch them just before they dive and they're counting down together and it's like four three two one and you're like the number of times even just doing that with like i don't know anything that you 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 moments pause or a little stutter that would throw the whole thing out yet they've got it so drilled in that it's uh, yeah, yeah all of it's brilliant i love the archery i've said, I've said that before i think the archery is brilliant Mate,
2: all these things ben are amazing right because yeah. <laughs> because i'm of the opinion that they're like they're olympic sports right so like archery and diving and gymnastics like the olympics is the pinnacle of those sports isn't it so to win olympic yeah. gold in, and anything that's as good as it gets in those sports same yeah, is true. true of athletics obviously mm. um the inclusion of things like tennis and football I'm a bit. I'm a slightly like underwhelmed by it because I think actually it's not the it's not the ultimate for these players. It's obviously important and lots. Some nations take it extremely seriously, but you know the World Cup is the ultimate thing for, yeah. for footballers or tennis. It's it's Grand Slam similar similarly golf. You know it's winning an Open or whatever. And I kind of think I'm not as interested in those sports as a result. I want I want the Olympics to be like the big ticket item in in someone's career. Do you know what I mean? I, I yeah. agree.
3: I think that the um the interesting one this year with the was the the women's road race which i don't know if anyone saw but like oh the, i did see yeah did see yeah so the yeah, winner yeah. um uh, she she went from the get go and you know did all of her, did did her math she's a she's i mean i can't I'm, I can't remember her name now she was the austrian rider um but yeah she's she was a phenomenal rider went from the get go and it turned out like it seemed that the the dutch team forgot that she'd kind of gone up the road and <laughs> yeah. and all this sort of stuff um and that's the sort of stuff whereas i would agree with you i'd say that the you know for cyclists and And perhaps there's different, you know, there's the Tour de France or there's the one-day classics and all that sort of stuff. So maybe the Olympics isn't, but then it is treated with the respect. The the thing is, I think it's people respect the Olympics, and that's where I think that comes in. Like if you say you've got an Olympic medal, that's whatever you're doing, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. It's not bad. Anyway, I think,
3: but there are these definitely these these races that that, or the 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 disciplines that you kind of think oh, that's not really Olympic, and then it turns out it, it gives you some of the best action that you. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: I've, I've got two questions for you both. Talking yeah. of four, three, two, one, go did anyone see the men's triathlon with the boat? And number two question, <laughs> if if you were in the Olympics, would you get the tattoo? Oh. All
2: right. All right. I, I, yeah, on the triathlon <laughs> front, did see the boat. That's madness. Don't know what's happening there. Like, everything's I'm like Absolutely like insane. <laughs> it's insane, isn't it? You can plan an amazing opening ceremony, but you can't get a boat out of the way uh, at the start. I've got a little bit of chat for, about Alex Yee, who came second. Uh, Seth, London, i've ra- I've raced him have you well what? You- <laughs> I said, what? well you know because running's funny like isn't it like you can you can be on a start Do you line mean just
1: like in the park
2: no, no, there were loads of people and, obvi- and obviously he he finished way ahead of me, but it was um it was a surrey cross country league, which is really competitive actually but, yeah it um, is. yeah he ran for i think and still does uh run for Kent who are really good and he just turned up and wiped the floor he was like 17 at the time and it's like he's and uh, i was like oh wow who's this <laughs> who's this young lad he's gonna be, he's gonna be quick <laughs> as i came in like 20 20 minutes after him uh, and it turns out yeah he's obviously he's an olympic silver medalist now so i think a very nice bloke from by all accounts as well so uh, yeah nice to see him doing yeah doing so excellently
3: yeah yeah cross country there you go the bedrock the bedrock and of,
2: uh, 100% would get a tattoo i'm almost tempted to get a tattoo anyway and come up with a kind of story like oh yeah it was like atlanta 96 and well, it was archery that's your I came story
1: forth. i guess that you know <laughs> i check? raced raced against a silver medalist so i got the tattoo and people will be like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> you do you <laughs>
3: so. that's mental i love you that. get the tattoo
2: though wouldn't you come on what would, an olympic you? rings tattoo not like only if you qualify for the olympics but you'd get it definitely
3: yeah, it's probably. I think you
1: have to I think you have to win a medal. No. You can't you can't just be there. I well, think you could probably well, Yeah, I think if you get to getting re- getting I think
3: there. if you get to represent your country at the Olympics, you're entitled to yeah. get get it. Yeah. a tattoo. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Getting a tattoo, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. You get know. You know, like look at the amount of people who get the Iron Man tattoo. Yeah, that's that's, that's what
1: I'm thinking about, but I feel like if you didn't finish the Iron Man, would you still get the tattoo? Ooh.
2: I just think like being an Olympian, though. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, there, a different level. The
1: Olympians, it? the Olympic tattoo is cooler than the Iron Man tattoo. No <laughs> yeah, shade yeah. to any of our listeners. Wow, well, a bit of shade. It a is bit shade. <laughs> a bit of shade. A little bit of shade. A little bit shade. an Olympian, then get it. Um, yeah. I, think I'd, I think I'd have to get it, but I think I'd do. I'd have to get it somewhere like really small, so people didn't ask me about it all the time that's Is the it? thing though because then it's but
3: then you, if you've got it and someone goes oh you've you've been to the olympics and you go like yeah i'm an olympian like you know that's well,
1: maybe i should get one because i was a games maker technically no. i was
3: there no 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 that's that's not how that works <laughs> does
1: that count rick no. does that well, count i
2: mean i love how proud you are of being a games maker and i think that's that's wonderful and i don't doubt in some in many ways you did you did help you did help make i did the make the games yeah i think that's i think it's a bit of a that's a little bit of a stretch from there to getting the olympic rings tattoo which implies <laughs> that you were actually an athlete there. are you a games maker from the 2012
3: <laughs> olympics do you have the olympic ring tattoo please email us runners world pod, podcast that runners world.co.uk mainly with a picture
4: you know, yeah, I'm for, can I'm you I'm imagine
1: against- <laughs> oh what event were with you beach volleyball oh what i didn't see you there yeah no no i was on security
0: <laughs>
2: I'm going to say it's the only tattoo I get. I'm not getting a tattoo unless I get into the Olympics and then I'm 100% getting a tattoo. Well,
3: start tr- right. Rick, you have got 4 years. Start well, 3 training. years, to be honest. 3. <laughs> you know. What would you
2: go for if you had to get in? You got 10 years. So let's we're going to have to rule out like aerobic sports here.
3: No. Yeah. What what would I what discipline would I go for if I was trying to get into the Olympics now? Mm. Mm.
1: Skateboard, Ben, 100%. <laughs> I don't th- I
3: think that I mean I still have, I still skateboard, but I think that my my competitive years have gone. Uh, what a shame isn't it um, I don't. <laughs> I didn't have any to begin with so to, to have some now would be a real surprise um, oh, I don't know I mean I don't I know I think you've named I it. it I think, it I I think do, archery go archery. Go, go archery would be sick I'd love to I think I'll just go for the one that everyone always seems to try which is rowing <laughs> so I'll just everyone yeah. seems to rowing
2: as a as what, 37-year-old? You're going to get in the boat, are you? Mate, thank you very Who much. Who are you? <laughs> James Cracknell?
3: Yeah, exactly. Thir- also not 37. Older than that. So come so on, now, you've
2: got to do a sitting hate. one. You've got to do like... You've got, it's sitting You're on a
3: shooting event.
2: It's a shooting ben, event.
3: Ben, sit
1: down. I'm, I'm
3: sitting down. That's rowing. You sit down.
1: Ben, mate,
2: come on. Come Fine.
3: on. Uh, well, no, because I've got... My right eye's not very... I have a bad eye, so shooting's <laughs> out the mix. I can't...
1: Ben, you sound about fifty-five. I know. I've got. Uh, had,
3: I've had a bad eye since I was a he's getting, baby. He's getting in the so boat.
2: Don't slag him off. He's getting in the boat.
3: A bad eye since I, I was not, a child. I'm so. not
1: the one telling him to sit down. Yeah, I know.
3: That was a bit. <laughs> all right, judo. I'm going to go judo. <laughs> judo. Jane, what? But you've
2: actually still got a chance. You're you're in your mid twenties. Uh, yeah.
1: I've still got a chance. Um, well, actually, as we established the other day, Rick, my fitness age is twenty-two. So, oh right, yeah, I've the Garmin, the Garmin you know, told you. According to my Garmin, I'm twenty-two still, so I'm holding on to that for the next two years. Dressage, um, Jane. I don't, <laughs> dressage, yeah. You know, I did horse riding as a kid. Did oh yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah, maybe I'd go that. But then who knows what's coming? Maybe in like four years' time, all like, the sports will be you know, in there. Dog agility. Maybe I'll be one of those people. Hey, like, do you Crufts? reckon that crofts
3: <laughs> Crofts is probably your gateway into the Olympics? So if you win Crofts, <laughs>
1: gateway drug, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'll,
3: <laughs> win win Crofts and then go to the Olympics to, for canny cross, which will probably be an Olympic sport by that point.
1: Okay, I'll I'll you know I'll I'll start start practicing now, and then if it's not in there in four years, I'll have to go for dressage. Okay, Rick, what are you doing? <laughs> okay.
2: I'm going in the boat with you, mate. We'll be in the two, yes. we'll be in the two-man boat,
3: coxless pair, <laughs> Coxless pair. <laughs> See you in uh, Melbourne, twenty thirteen. Yeah, I think we're perfectly well balanced in terms of size and abilities <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. all that. There definitely yeah. won't be a big heavy end yeah. of the boat and a not so yeah. heavy end of the boat. It'd be great. Okay, good.
2: Yeah, it's perfect. Well, we're, we're pinballing around subjects here because there was a certain amount of levity uh, around your um, your bid for the <laughs> the Olympic boat. Um, but obviously, the, the main the main subject this week is. Um, It's much more serious. And it's based on um, an article that's come out in the latest issue of Runner's World. So it's probably just coming out. Um, And it's, yeah, it's about uh, the relationship between running and and grieving, basically, people who have used running as a way to to deal with the grieving process. And we've got Eliza Flynn, who uh, absolutely did that. And we've got Dr. John Wilson as well, who's kind of offering the kind of academic and theoretical side to why running can help uh, deal with with bereavement. Um, So I think we should probably... We should probably get him on. A unknown. In the latest issue of Runners World, well, we looked at the relationship between running and grief, and we're delighted to be joined by two of the people featured in that article, Eliza Flynn and Dr. John Wilson, to discuss how running can help us to move forward at our own pace when tragedy strikes. Eliza and John, welcome to the Runners World podcast. So in the um, Runners World article, you discussed turning to running to help deal with the death of your mother. Um, What were you hoping that running could offer you during this period?
5: Honestly, I don't think running was a conscious decision. It felt like just something I had to do. I didn't kind of go, right, okay, um, what's going to help with this? I'm going to look to running. It was one of those things where I just felt like I had to go and run otherwise I was going to implode. Um, I'm quite scared of emotions. I'm not afraid to admit that. And um, I'm very good at hiding them. And I think that when you're a mum who is also got sort of like a house to look after, then actually allowing emotions to take hold for me, just there wasn't time. We're in the middle of a lockdown. Um, I had work to getting on with and I just I felt like I just needed something and I didn't know what. So running just felt like the only thing that I could do. And it just felt like being at home. It just felt like a bit of a bubbling pot. And I just had to escape. I needed to breathe properly. I had to just get away. And I think I did it more of as an an escape. So there was lots of pitying looks. We had our nanny staying with us. My husband was a bit like, oh, are you okay? Our nanny was a bit sort of, you know, asking how I was all the time. And then I also had messages from friends going, you know, how is everything going? And I just needed to get away from it all.
2: Yeah. And, and I, was do you think that running as an activity then was appealing more so than say something like cycling or other kind of aerobic Activities because it has that aspect of kind of getting away from it all, kind of freedom and um, that, that, kind of, that kind of quality.
5: Yeah, I mean, I love cycling. I think a cycling is something actually more functional for me. But it also felt like something that was more organised. Like I would have to really know where I was going to go. I'd have to get a helmet on. I'd have to. I've got a Brompton. So I would have to unpack the Brompton. Where running, I could just grab my stuff, chuckle my trainers and just get out of there. And I've got some running routes near me that I'm quite comfortable with. So it felt like I couldn't really get very lost, even if I set off with no... Um, specific path and I felt comfortable with it and for me there was a bit of a comfort zone and I think running was one of those things where I'm not necessarily a competent runner, I don't necessarily run fast, I don't necessarily run long distances and It meant that running, I could easily get out of breath. I felt like there was almost some weird kind of sadistic thing where I wanted the running to hurt, to feel a bit exhausted, to feel like I'm pushing myself, to almost just numb everything else and kind of get everything else out of my mind. And for me, that that was running. Cycling, I just didn't have that with. I didn't feel like, especially in London, I could cycle really, really fast and be comfortable with it.
1: John you're a bereavement counsellor and a psychotherapist can you briefly outline the typical pattern of how we grieve following a bereavement?
4: Yes I can Um, uh, but I want to start by saying that everybody's grief is unique so not everybody will be this pattern but it'll be interesting to see if Eliza recognises what I'm going to say now. Um, Most people initially um, have a kind of a really acute pain of grief and that's in the first uh, few hours when they get the news or um, but not everybody does sometimes people go to kind of a numbness straight away um but whether you get that initial acute pain or not um, then you do get a kind of dissociation and a numbness fairly quickly and and gradually um there's a, an acceptance of the reality and you can't put a time scale on that for some people it's um, days others weeks others it's months and occasionally it's years but um you go from that um numbness to gradually accepting the reality and then people go through a period of um kind of um painful very painful but interspersed with periods where it's a lot easier and, and they, the pain can come back, catch you unawares. It might be triggered by something. might be a piece of music or something on the telly or something somebody says to you. But you, you, you can get to that point where you really get to a point of despair and how long is it going to be like this? Um, and that can be quite a long time, um, weeks or months, occasionally years. Um, and people find that hard and they need a kind of reassurance at that stage. And then slowly you get a real acceptance that the the loss is real, um, mm-hmm. that the, the reality is what it is. And um, usually the kind of logical comes before the emotional. So people will say to me, I know they've died, but I can't feel that they've died. I still expect them to come back. So that, that goes for quite a time. And then hopefully for nearly everybody, you then go to a stage where you start to form an, a symbolic new relationship with the person that's died in memories and funny stories that you recall and in talking about them and sharing you know, family jokes and so on. Um, looking at photographs Um doing things for them that's quite a common one so you know people do things like race for life you know i'm doing this for my mum and so on that kind of thing so that that kind of sums up but like i say nobody's um you know nobody's typical everybody's unique but that's a general pattern
2: why do you, why do you think exercise and obviously we're, we're run as well so we're interested in, in running in particular could potentially be useful when people are processing grief?
4: It's interesting, actually, that, that one of the things I often say to people is follow your instincts and, and to come up with running without knowing why is absolutely fascinating. You know, it's, it's great that um it is. It is so useful and people people know that. Um, first of all, there's a model in grief called the dual process model, um, which was brought about by... Uh, Maggie Strober and, Strober and uh, Henk Schutt, uh in the Netherlands and um, their idea is that it's helpful to distract yourself from grief some of the time so that you switch between the painful grief and deliberately distracting yourself and and um, and running is a, an instinctive natural normal way to do that as is any exercise but but running, and I I love that concept of running away from, you know, moving away from, getting out, freedom, and so on. So that's the kind of um, theoretical aspect. Also, uh, like any kind of routine or exercise routine, um, it gives life a purpose again. You know, I'm I'm doing this, I'm, I'm deliberately doing this rather than moping about, so that's important. And then there's the chemicals, which we'll talk about in a moment, but there's the chemicals that your body releases uh, into your bloodstream, which make you feel good. Uh, and, and, and running is particularly good at releasing um, a whole range of those chemicals. And then alongside it is that if you're exercising, you're likely to be um, to having your appetite stimulated, and, and uh, diet is particularly important as well. Um, as part of grieving it's very very easy for people to comfort eat and become couch potatoes um, but it's not good a good diet a balanced diet and uh, an exercise alongside the grief is the best way to go
1: and Eliza, what do you i think this is a question that i wouldn't know how to answer but what, what are you thinking about when you run and how do you think the running helped you in those after your
5: bereavement So when I was going out for these initial runs, um, because mum, mum, mum was in her care home and she sort of, they sort of said, oh, she's feeling a bit ill. And this illness kind of stretched out sort of over two weeks or so. So um, it was those sort of two weeks that was really helpful for me. And then afterwards with the running. And I think I was just getting out there to, in a way, try not to think. And it was quite meditative. And obviously, it's a very hard thing not to think. And when I was there, um, sort of running, there were all these thoughts that were kind of going through my mind and some were very practical things and some are very emotional things. Um, and so it felt, actually, when I was thinking about things, there was sort of, you know, lots and lots of floods of memories coming through with my mum and I would get quite emotional. So, goodness knows what other people must have thought because I'd be running along and there's like tears coming down and um, actually quite interesting. I was getting quite emotional when you were talking uh, earlier about all this um, stuff, cause I can really relate. And I think there's a lot of grief that I still haven't got rid of. And I think what was one really um, big memory that sort of comes back to me was when it was just after mum had passed away And it was a really glorious, beautiful, sunny day. And all I could think about was that she was in this really cold place because she hadn't been buried yet. um, We had her cremated. And I just thought how unfair it was that it was so sunny and so beautiful. And she was just so cold. Because mum really hates being cold. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, it was one of those things where I kind of went, you know what? Mum would be like, enjoy the sunshine. It felt like actually almost a positive thing as well, that I was running along and going, this is actually the most amazing feeling ever to be running and to have the sun down on my face. And I just need to make the most of it. So it was really sad. But then also, it was quite a good learning point, I think, for me, for mindset. Yeah. Apologies. (laughs) Apologies
2: okay. for <laughs> No, it's really it's incredibly moving to hear you talk about. I'm that, not very
5: good at crying, so <laughs> I'm not a, a natural crier. So, I don't often cry.
2: <laughs> no, we're we're, we're really um, privileged mm. that you're that you're prepared to talk about that. And I think anyone listening to that will be hugely moved by what what you said there. Um, do you think? I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm hoping the answer is yes. But do you, do you feel that running has been useful in your bereavement? yes oh my gosh your bereavement strategy yeah
5: it was absolutely i think i think to be honest it was my only strategy i think it was um i think it was the only thing that i could think of at that time that could help um and you know i think there there are things that you know i'd love to kind of go off and do as well like i'm really keen to get into sort of face-to-face counseling and to talk more about these things but i think for me as someone who finds it really hard to open up Mm. and to let my feelings go and to express emotions for me that was like therapy and Mm. you know i wouldn't say it fixed anything um but it definitely did help it sort of you know it helped me release those kind of emotions i really did need to release um and it just helped me have that escape and i think it i think it probably helped with a lot of my sanity as well i don't think Mm. You know, I'd have been able to have gone back and functioned as a mum and as a partner and as someone who still has work to do if I didn't have that running. Because especially when you've got kids, you you can't you you, you know you, there's no time for emotions. Yeah. And I just I remember being quite sad one day, and the boys came in, got two boys, and they would have been two and four at the time, and um, and I was a bit like, okay guys, I'll come and chat to you in a minute. I'm having a little bit of a sad time. And they're like, okay. And they come in literally two seconds later. Can we have a snack? And you're a bit like, guys, what about my (laughs) sad time? So it's great in a way because it kind of made me get up and go. But I think, had I not had the running there as well to help balance that out, um, I would have probably found that incredibly hard to deal with.
0: This is the Runner's World podcast.
1: Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1. dot com. Do you think? I guess it's probably one for John. Do you think it's harder to? Because obviously, it, this will touch so many people. I think grieving during a pandemic seems to be something. I don't know, there probably isn't a lot of research about, but do you think kind of trying to grieve in a state of worldwide stress is somehow harder?
4: Mm. Yeah, I think the answer is we think so. We think it's di- more, more difficult. Um, I'm, I'm doing the research at the moment, and it's going to be quite long-term research because we want to see how people change over the next two or three years as well, people be grieved by by COVID so um, and I'm in contact with I mean I run a group on Facebook we've got 620 members and um, so I'm in contact with a lot of people bereaved either by COVID or during the pandemic um, there's a lot of people there being supported but an awful lot of people also um, giving their ideas and sharing their experience so the answer is it probably is and it's probably because of the lockdown and the isolation and the rituals that people couldn't do in terms of restricted funerals, um, the guilt about not being alongside the loved one when they died. Um, there's, there's quite a lot of contributory factors. But having said that, um, most people do tend to be resilient and i'm i' I'm of the school that believes that most people will get through this but there are more pessimistic schools that believe that um an awful lot of people will be will have been traumatized by the pandemic and by the lockdown and by being separated from their loved one and that um that their grief is going to remain complex and complicated for a very long time maybe forever um, but we don't know yet. Is the answer?
2: John, um, uh, earlier in the conversation, we talked a little bit about, um, I guess, some of what's happening chemically in the brain when we when we run. I wonder, could, could you could you expand on that a little bit to give us a sense of why it works?
4: Yes, yeah, there, there's there are four chemicals called neurotransmitters, um, which are uh, part of the feel good factor with uh, exercise, um, and there are they are uh, dopamine. Um, oxytocin serotonin and the endorphins and each one has a part to play so um, let's look at the uh, reward drug first the reward drug is dopamine and that's the one that you get when you set yourself a target and you achieve it Um, so it's important if you're first starting out to run to set realistic targets so that you you're not disappointed in yourself So you set a realistic target. When you achieve that, you get a release of dopamine, that that reward drug. Um, It's better to run outdoors than it is indoors because in daylight you release more serotonin. So um, in a gym on a running machine, it isn't the same as being outside in bright sunlight where you're going to get a much stronger effect. And also if you accompany your... um, you're outdoor running with a good diet, uh, then you release a chemical uh, called tryptophan into your bloodstream, which serotonin uh, uses to make itself. Um, So things like eggs, dairy products, um, and fish are good for for making tryptophan. And if you're a vegan or vegetarian, then nuts, um, whole grains, uh, beans, and bananas are good for uh, producing tryptophan, which makes serotonin. Um, Oxytocin is often called the love drug. It's the one that you release when you're with somebody that you love or with a pet that you love, um, so that if you look at your dog and stroke your dog or your cat, then you release oxytocin into your bloodstream, and in turn the dog releases oxytocin into its bloodstream. I don't know about cats. I suspect they do, but um, I'm a cat person and I think my cat enjoys the oxytocin from being stroked, but but dogs definitely do. There's been lots of research on that. Um, when a dog gazes back at you lovingly, it's releasing oxytocin, which is why it gazes back at you. And If you gaze back at the dog, then that constant eye gate Eye gaze is putting your oxytocin levels up. So if you run with friends, with people that you like, if you run in a group, then you're going to release oxytocin as well as the other stuff. Um, Players of team games, football teams, rugby teams, um, release oxytocin while they're playing. Um, I suspect, music. I'm a musician, I suspect musicians do as well, release oxytocin when they're making music. And then... The um, the pain barrier drug, the endorphins, the body's natural opiates, that's where you feel good when you've pushed yourself because you've been releasing these natural opiates called endorphins. So those four drugs together, and, and there's a lot of um, evidence that the four work together. So the um, the dopamine, the serotonin, the oxytocin, and the endorphins work together to give you that overall feel-good effect at the end of a period of exercise that's mm.
2: fascinating john thanks for that that's a re- really sort of comprehensive uh, look at that just gonna ask one final question to you john if that's all right um mm. as, as amazing as all that sounds is there is there a danger when we're talking about the grieving process that people could become could over rely on on exercise or use it as a way of kind of avoiding dealing with um with a loss
4: it's a good question the answer is it's it is a risk i think that most people can see it coming um and maybe Eliza could a good answer to this because it, it 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 may I mean, i'm pretty sure that she will be aware of the danger of distracting yourself too much and if you run in a group and it's quite clear that you um remain in distress over a long period of time. It's useful for friends to say to you, Are you sure you don't need some extra help? But most people do know instinctively. And that dual process model, that time when you spend um distracting yourself and other times when you're facing your grief, um, means that you're going to avoid that. And 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 also I think it's so important that Elisa said that when she was running, she was aware that um you know, i actually filled up with tears. It was a safe place to be upset as well. So I think it's really yeah. unlikely for just about everybody. Uh, and that distracting yourself from grief is actually a really important part of the process.
2: What, what would you say, Eliza? Do you, do you think that's, yeah, that you, you would sense if you, were use, if you were kind of exercising too much?
5: Um, yeah, I think... I, I don't think that's in my nature to exercise yeah. too much. I don't think I'm <laughs> right. that kind of a person. Um, yeah. I think mainly because I don't necessarily get the chance to, mm. um, or I don't, I don't make the chance to. Um, I, can, I can definitely see how um, perhaps I, I, I definitely know that on the days that I didn't get out, my mood was not as good. And I think I was running about three or four times a week, anywhere between probably around eight to 14, 15 kilometers each run. Um, and I know that on the days that I kind of didn't, I, my mood would be, I'd be a lot snappier. I'd be a lot more down. I'd be a lot more sort of emotional roller coaster. Um But, but for me personally, I, I don't think that I would have had the chance to, and I don't think I'm that kind of a person to have, have, over exercised yeah yeah and I
1: guess what would um I know that it's it's very much a process but what do you what would you say to yourself at the beginning of your journey what would you say to someone else dealing with that initial stages of grief
5: today listening to this I think that anything that helps you find a release is really important um for me it's exercise for me it was running. I think that it just it's just helps get rid of all the overwhelm that I think initially happens and it also can help you in so many different ways and lots of different stages so initially it was that escape there was also that kind of rumination and meditation and the fact that you could stop processing some of the thoughts and what it means and it brings up memories and they're not necessarily you know they're not bad memories there's you know some great memories in there and it actually just helps you get some emotions out there especially if you're not very good or talking to other people about stuff we're not very good at accepting shoulders to cry on um i think it can be incredibly useful and just getting outside is amazing too and funnily enough even regardless of the weather So I think I ran during rain, I ran during sun, I ran during cold days, and they were all quite restorative um, in lots of different ways. Um, One thing that I, I would say, though, is that I do remember there were some runs that I was actually quite scared of my emotions, and it made me quite angry, and there was part of me that felt like I could potentially be slightly reckless with my running. So there'll be times I'll be running and I'll be a bit just like, what would happen if I just ran straight across the road without looking? So there was this really, it was, you know, it's quite terrifying for me and I didn't do it. But there were these sort of very sort of short moments of thoughts where that kind of came into my head. And so I feel like um, all these emotions can make you feel slightly reckless in terms of reckless with your own life and reckless with, you know, other people as well. So um, that is just something to be to be aware of as well, especially if you're driving, if you're sort of running around where there are cars and there are lots of other people around. But yeah, I I, I don't think it's necessarily the the be all and end all for things. But for me, it was a really, really good starting point. And I'm still on that grief journey. I feel like I've only just scratched it and I've got a lot. I've got a lot longer journey to go. But I definitely know that running is going to be part of it. (laughs) Running has definitely been a constant throughout
2: the whole of it John I'm interested because as a bereavement counselor you've obviously spoken with with lots of people um on a range of issues um that that are similar to this I guess um what what would what would your advice be to someone who's perhaps kind of early on in the in the grieving process What, what would you say to them
4: I always say exactly the same thing Rick I always say follow your instincts um because instincts are the way that has got people through grief since we became a species you know Four million years or so, we've been uh, we've been grieving as a as a hominid, um, follow your instinct, um, and they they normally what looks after you. And my job isn't to tell people what to do; it's to support them in what they are doing.
2: That's great, Eliza and John. Thanks so much for making the time to speak with us on the yes, Runner's World thank podcast. You. It was thank you for having me. Uh, no, it's absolutely great, and really, really appreciate you speaking so honestly about um, about grief and hope. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening will, will have got lots from that. So, thanks so much.
1: If you've listened to this podcast and you want to find some extra help dealing with bereavement, there's a few places to check out. Um, Cruise Bereavement Care is a support organisation with dedicated helpline staffed by trained counsellors. There's Young Minds, which is de- designed to help young people experiencing loss. And of course, the Samaritans, which organises support groups to help those who've been bereaved by suicide.
2: So that brings us to the end of this week's Run as Well podcast. Thanks very much to our guests, Eliza Flynn and Dr. John Wilson. And to you, of course, for listening.
3: Please subscribe to Runners World Magazine. It's the best running magazine out there and you will never regret that decision. Uh, You can get three issues for just £5 at the moment. Just head to hearstmagazines.co.uk slash runnersworldpodcast to get this exclusive listener offer.
1: You can listen to the Runners World Podcast on Acast, iTunes and all your favourite podcast apps. Just search Runners World UK and click subscribe. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week.